All right, you guys can be seated. Well, can we um, just, as a, as a sign of thanks, uh, give a round of applause to the band again tonight? So we say that a lot, you know, that, um, that it's not about the band, but we are so, so stinking grateful um, for you guys and the time and the energy that you put in uh, to, to serve us and to lead us into God's presence that way. So thank you so much. Um, who here is following us on Instagram? Whoop, 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 whoop. Well, I was going to pop quiz you, but now you guys know what the new series is. Relationships 101. I was going to say, who knows what the new series is? Nisa. Okay, Relationships 101 is our new series. So, what do you guys think we're going to talk about? Relationships. Ah, yeah. Okay. So, we're going to talk about relationships. Okay. Um, but we are going to specifically, specifically talk about. You guys ready? You guys, can you? Jesus. God. Sex. Right? I know. So I said the S word. Um, so we, uh, let's go ahead and just all get it out, okay? Let's get it out. Everybody together now, let's just say the word so it's not awkward for me. No, no, not yet. Not yet. On three, we're going to, to nope, nope. On three, we're going to say, Sex, because we're all old enough to know what that is. I know we have some blushing in here right now. Okay, so not loudly, because we do not want the children's ministry to hear us. But very quietly, we're all going to whisper the S word. Okay, on three, whisper the S word. One, two, three. S word. That's good. That's good, Jared. Okay, so, so we're going to be talking about sex. Um, we're going to be talking specifically about lust and how that wrecks us spiritually, okay? So we're going we're gonna, to, through this series, we're going to decipher what the question, you know, the question that's uh, classic in youth ministries, how far is too far, Jonathan? Like, how far is too far with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Or, you know, what is it that the Bible says about um, relationships when I'm in high school? So, so my hope and my heart is in this series is that we can talk about these things. And yes, we're going to hit on some topics that are a little bit awkward, that's natural, okay? Um, so just sit in awkwardness with me. It's a little bit awkward for me. Sometimes I veer away from topics like this because, purely because I don't want to say something that like comes across in the wrong way. It's just easier to stay away from them. But um, as we are praying through what was next, I really felt like that this was a good thing to tackle um, in our student ministry. And so um, with God's grace, we're going to be uh, traveling through this. It's probably going to be about a three or four week series. So if you know people that, um, that have questions about their relationship with their boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, like uh, the changes that are going on with them. This is not going to be sex ed. It's just going to be looking at scripture purely about what God says about relationships and what his ideal is and how he's designed us and, and what's good about um, the way that he's designed us and then how Satan has twisted that. So um, tonight I wanted to start off and be vulnerable with you guys, okay? I want to tell you a story. I, back in the day... Um, I know that you guys are looking at me, you're probably thinking, man, Jonathan, you probably wooed the ladies since the beginning. Oh, right? Yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Am I, yeah? Not at all. Not at all. Sure. I, okay, 
I was not. That's right. I was the kid with the pimple. Um, okay, everybody listen. Listen or I'm not going to be able to tell my story. Come on, fam. Come on, fam. Let's go. Okay. So I was um, not a ladies' man. In junior high, uh, especially, I was very awkward, and I could hardly talk to a girl without, like, feeling nervous, feeling the knots in my stomach. Okay, thank you. Um, but uh, there was this one time whenever I had a girlfriend, okay? We were, like, girlfriend, boyfriend, you know, like, it, we never really did anything. You'll figure out why here in a second. So she calls me one time, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, she's calling me or whatever. And then she asked, this is when I said, okay, you guys got to listen. Okay. So um, she asked, uh, this was when I was in seventh grade. She asked, hey, some of us are going to the movie. Uh, you know, do you want to come with us? And I was like, so awkward, painfully awkward. I just kept on saying, I don't know. Like in a really deep voice, I know. I know. It sounds awful. This is embarrassing. So, so she said, well, we're going to, uh, you know, the movies. And then I was like, I was like, well, what movie are we seeing? Or you guys seeing? And she, I don't remember what it was. It's probably something, something, I don't know. And I was like, she's like, so do you want to come with us? I, I don't know. Of course, I'm talking really deep because, you know, my voice is changing at that point and I don't want it to crack. And, uh, um, and so I keep on awkwardly saying I don't know. Basically, I wanted to say no because I'm so painfully awkward. I can't even imagine going out in public with a girl right now. So it would just be really hard for me. And I'd probably sweat through about three layers of clothing. So no, I don't want to go. Instead of saying that, I just kept saying I don't know awkwardly, which made the problem even worse. So she... Awkwardly is like, okay, and she kind of gets perturbed with me, and she's like, well, I'll just see you in, um, at school on Monday. And I was like, oh, okay. And so she thought I had hung up. Well, I was petrified and like, like felt like a big, the biggest loser because I was like, oh, you idiot. And she, little did she know, I was still on there. And she had three-wayed one of her friends. Now, this was back in the day when we had like, you know, phones with a cord on them. Yeah, yeah, you know. So you hit the you hit the um, the rent or the the hang up thing, and then that was supposed to like drop that other call, oh, yeah. and then you're still on the line with somebody else that's somewhere else. Yeah. So it was her friend, and they go to town making fun of me, like, and they don't know I'm listening. So I'm like sitting there, like vulnerable Jonathan that feels like a loser anyways, and they're like, he is such a loser, like, like why do we even ask, why do we even call him to ask? Like he he's such a loser, and they just keep on going on and on, and I'm like. Well, now the, the listener has been listened upon, you know, like I, the, the tables have turned, except it really didn't work out in my best advantage because um, on Monday, if I remember correctly, I didn't have the guts to break up with her, but she broke up with me, um, you know, broke up with me. It was in seventh grade. It, it really wasn't serious at all. But that's just to show you that, like, I did not have any type of girl skills whatsoever. And that continued in high school. I know that's crazy. I was the guy that everybody, all the moms wanted their daughters to date, but then I was so awkward that I didn't know how to like form a relationship with a girl, so I was just kind of like, like I'd be like their friend, sort of, but most of the time didn't really talk to them, and um, for that reason, never dated in high school, never really had a serious relationship until college, and I look back on that, and I think that in some ways, it was a good thing, it was a protecting thing for me, right? So I could have made some really, really um, big mistakes had I been the ladies' man, Okay. Because I know how difficult it was for me going into junior high and then high school and having the hormones start raging through my body. And if I had had a girlfriend and I had been like the wooer and we had had opportunities, then more than likely I would have made some very big mistakes along the way. So, so oftentimes when I was in the student ministry, 
Um, we would talk about, at Bel Air, we would talk about um, lust and girls and how to stay pure. And I don't know if you guys have had conversations like that, but a lot of times I left there feeling shame and guilt and feeling like there's something wrong with me because I, like, had, a dif- I had difficulty not lusting. I had difficulty not um, staying pure. And, and so, like, like, I would leave those times and I'd be like, I'm so grateful that they shared that with me, but I would always leave feeling like a, just the biggest, like, you know, like failure right? So part of the reason that I fear opening this can up with you guys is that like I don't want you guys to leave here when we talk about relationships and talk about something as vulnerable as as lust and our sexuality for you guys to leave and to feel guilt and shame and to feel like that your sexuality, the way that God has designed you, is in any way wrong. So can we go ahead at the forefront um, and, and agree that this is not going to be a shame fest? Can we go ahead and agree that, that we are not going to feel like that our sexuality is wrong. Um, can, we, can we agree with that? Can we, can we, can we nod our heads? Okay, so if you're feeling shame, you're feeling guilt, hopefully like throughout tonight we'll be able to talk a little bit about what that looks like to, to hand that over to God. Okay, so um, with that said, uh, the big overarching thing that we're going to be talking about um, is lust. Does anybody know, like has anybody talked about lust before with you? Just nod your head or shake your head. Okay, for the most part, no? Okay, well, that just goes to show that it's probably a pretty good thing to talk about. Okay, so um, so what I would like to do to, to talk about lust is I would like to um, answer questions that I ask myself. And I, I'm, if, you're, if, if, if throughout this you, you say to yourself, man, I'd really like to know more about this, there's a great book um, that I'm basing a lot of this off of um, by Joshua Harris, and it was called Not Even a Hint, which was a, a great title. And then he changed the title, and I'm sure there was a publisher that did it, but I don't like the new title. It says, Sex Isn't the Problem, Lust Is. And so that one's a little bit edgy and kind of like makes parents' eyes go big. Whenever I hand a book to them that says Not Even a Hint, they're like, I don't even know what that means. So, okay, we'll read it. Um, so uh, if you guys want to learn more about this and have it kind of unpacked a little bit more, then I encourage you guys to pick that book up. I actually have copies of it, okay? So if you're thinking, man, Jonathan, like I really want to know more, let me know. I have, um, I don't know how many up in my office, but probably close to 10. Um, and if you are serious about wanting to learn more, then I will um, gladly give you one of those books, okay? So um, with that said, uh, I want to go through some questions. And the first thing that I want to talk about is what is the struggle of lust? So you guys don't know what lust is. So um, so here's, here's a, a basic definition. Craving something sexually that God has forbidden. Okay, so that's lust. Craving something sexually that God has forbidden. Okay, so, so for, I, I'm talking to a large span of age group, okay? So for some in here, I don't know, and I'm going to go ahead and use this term too. I won't use it a lot because it is kind of like, ooh. But puberty, some of you guys have definitely hit puberty, and some of you guys, I don't, I don't really know. But, but regardless of whether you've, you've passed through that or in it or whatever, if you haven't, it's going to hit home. And if you have, you already know what I'm talking about. The hormones start raging. And, and one day, girls are, for guys, are yucky. They got cooties. And guys are yucky, and they got cooties for girls. And then the next day, you go to sleep, and something magical happens. And, and you wake up the next day, and all of a sudden, you find the opposite gender really, really hot, right? Like, you, you, you're just like, man, that, that chick, I used to, like, hate her guts. I used to put gum in her hair, and now, like, I want to go on a date with her. I don't think that I'm going to, like, have a one-up on her because, because I put gum in her hair. But, but the hormones are going to come, right? 
And so, so what I want to go ahead and, and put out in the forefront before we jump really into this is that, that your natural sex drive is completely normal and good. Okay. Your sexuality that God has given you is completely normal and good. So when we look at Scripture, one of the first commandments that God gives to Adam and Eve is be fruitful and multiply. He did not... He wasn't talking about like breeding rabbits, okay? He was talking about, he was talking about like, you guys co-create with me. Subdue this earth. Like, this is my plan. So be fruitful and multiply. So then he gives us this wonderful thing called a sex drive. He gives us this wonderful thing that, that, that we become attracted to one another and then we want to procreate, right? So, so that's normal and good. That was his original design. So your sex drive is not wrong, okay? Not wrong. Now, it's what we do with the sex drive that oftentimes can be wrong or sinful, but we'll get to that here in a second. Okay, so God designed us as sexual beings and that it's okay, it's all right. Okay, so why can't we beat lust then? So if, if, if God created us as sexual beings um, and, and if, if, if what we do with that sex drive is is sometimes the sin, which is lust, which is sexually desiring or trying to attain something that is forbidden, then, then why is it that we have such a hard time defeating it? Like, why is it that God gave us a, such a strong sex drive and then, like, like, gave us a very high calling to holiness, right? So, so here's the deal. Satan comes along in the garden, and he's like, he's like, from day one to now, he, he has the ba basic same tactic, which is, I'm going to deceive you, I'm going to take what is good, what God said, and I'm going to twist it just enough where it turns into something different, where it's a counterfeit of what's good, and he's done the same exact thing with our sexuality and our sex drive, and he comes along and he twists that just enough, and then he says, hey, you know what, God's holding out on you. Does that sound familiar? Eve in the garden? Yeah, God's holding out on you, like he doesn't want you to eat this tree because he doesn't want you to know like what, what this tree holds. So he starts having her question God's goodness in that. He has her question whether God's holding out on them or not. And he says, listen, just eat the fruit and, and, and you're going to see that God's been holding out on you. And then Eve steps outside of what God had designed her for and she tries to reach out and attain something that he had forbidden, right? So, so in the same sense, like... Satan uses the same tactic except with our sexual um, drive and he says, you know what? I know that God says that you should wait until you're married to have sex. But everybody in your school is already having sex and it, they're obviously having a great time and you're just going to be like the loser that, that misses out on all of that. God's really holding out on you. Like, like you're denying your biological self and not having sex at this point, or whatever. And, and so, so then people look at that, and, and yes, sex is a beautiful thing. Yes, sex is a good thing within marriage, but Satan just twists it enough, and he takes it outside of the marriage covenant, and then all of a sudden it becomes this torturous thing that becomes an, a trap for so many people and breaks people's hearts because people buy into that counterfeit, that this is what I was designed for. No, this isn't what you're designed for outside of marriage. This is what you're designed for inside of marriage. So Satan says, no, this is what God's holding out on you. You're denying yourself of a pleasure that is due to you. And God's saying, no, wait for something so much better than that because I've designed you for something so much more. 
And yes, I've forbidden you to reach out and to lustfully take something at this point, but trust me, it's going to be better. But Satan all the while is looking at us and he's, he's convincing us that God doesn't really know what he's talking about. Waiting isn't fun. And it's just going to get harder and harder and harder to control your sex drive. So might as well just go ahead and do whatever the heck you want to at this point and deal with the consequences later. So that's the, that's the atmosphere that we're living in, right? So we say, well, then why is it so difficult? Well, it's difficult because we both have the sex drive alongside, but we have Satan giving us the counterfeit, and then so often we can't decipher what is good and God-given and what is not good and not God-given. That those lines become blurred along the way, and then we have shame and guilt and fear and all this stuff that gets mixed in there, and then we get really confused, and then we just kind of act out of a reaction mode, and it's just kind of like, well, nobody can really know anyways, Jonathan, so I'm just going to do whatever I feel like is the best thing to do in that moment. Like, I'm just going to hold out and, and do it at that point. Okay. So, what's God's measuring stick for lust? Does anybody know? I mean, if, if you were to take a guess, how much lust do you think God allows in a Christian's life? Huh? Yes. Bingo. Thank you. None. Okay, so in Galatians 5.3, it says, But among you, Paul's speaking, but among you there must be not... I'm so sorry. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. That is a really um, daunting verse. Okay, when we like step back and look at it, God's saying not even a hint of sexual immorality needs to be in your heart, in your life. Who here's, who here's done that? Okay, okay, sorry, I maybe was not clear. Who in here has kept themselves completely pure? And I'm talking thought process, I'm talking physical, I'm talking everything, heart. Okay, yeah, you guys were raising your hand. I was like, I must have asked that question wrong. <laughs> sorry. Okay, so the point is, is that, that it is a daunting verse, right? So God comes along and he says, I don't want you to have even a hint of sexual immorality in your life. I don't want you to have a hint of lust in your life. Like, your sex drive is good, and it's God-given, but I don't want you to take that and misuse it. That was intended for the marriage covenant, and it was intended for you to procreate, co-create with me, and that, that, that it's going to be a beautiful thing. But, but as of right now, there should not be any sexual immorality in your life. That is a daunting task, right? So some of you guys might be thinking, then what's the point in even trying? Whenever I was reading this book when I was your age, I was thinking to myself, like, Dude, this joker is like he is on something because he doesn't understand what it's like to be a teenage guy with a sex drive, obviously, because he's sitting here saying you shouldn't have a hint of sexual immorality. Well, guess what? I've already failed that test, so what else do you have to say? And unfortunately, whenever I read this book, a lot of it felt like a lot of shame and guilt like was being piled on top of me because I was like, oh, gosh, like, like I've, I've failed in most, of this, in most of these areas that he's talked about, Right? And, 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 and that's the point, okay? So, so don't lose me if you're feeling like a little bit, little bit weighted down by that. That is the point. Now you say, Jonathan, well, what, what do you mean that's the point? I mean, is the point that I failed? Well, no, the point isn't that you failed. The point is, is that you can't do it. So God's given us a commandment that we can't do. Why do you think he did that? So we don't do it. Okay. So we don't do it so we can strive for it, but, but ultimately, like, we can't, achieve that goal. So his bar is like 
a million miles up. And he's saying, jump and grab it. Okay, so, so we can't do it. We can't do it. And God wants us to come to the end of ourselves and understand, like, we cannot do it. So if I can't do it, yet God's commanding me to do it, then, then where should I be turning to? More effort? I should try harder next time not to be sexually immoral. Should it be more effort? Where, am I, where should I be turning? Towards God, right? Towards grace, towards the Spirit, towards His power in me. So, so okay, don't lose me here. So, so I'm just guessing, just guessing. <coughs> And me talking about this, there's probably already some people in here that's feeling shame, like, oh gosh, if they knew what I did, you know, even yesterday or today, I don't know, that, that there's a lot of shame. But here's the deal. There's so much hope in knowing that, like, like, you can't do it. You can't. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm not telling you to become pure, because you can't do it underneath your own strength. That's the point. Okay, so if our calling is to holiness, to being completely pure, to not having a hint of sexual immorality in our life, and we need to turn to God in order for that to happen, then, then that's what we need to start unpacking. Because, because if you're going to just try to effort your way into this, guess what? If any struggle in this world convinces you that, that, that you have no power underneath your own strength, this would be the struggle for most people in this room. And most of you guys in this room have struggled with, with some sort of sexual immorality. Again, this isn't shame. It's just reality. Okay. So, where's the hope? Because that passage is daunting. He's given us um, the, the impossible task of remaining completely pure apart from him. Okay. So, um, we need God to do that. So, so let, me answer, let me answer this question. Is God against sex and pleasure? What do you guys think? Okay, thank you. So no, right? Now, a lot of times in the church, we treat sex and like, like even pleasure, um, like just overall like, like desire in life, that we almost somewhat sometimes shy away from it because it's a little bit too messy for us. We would prefer to just stay nice and clean, kind of like Pharisee style, like we're going to stay 10 feet away from that because we aren't going to get close, even though that's not necessarily a sin. But God's not against sex and pleasure because if he was, he wouldn't have designed sex. You guys get that? So God created sex. Stop for a moment and think about that. He created sex. Like, it came out of his mind. Like, that's astounding to think about. And a lot of times I don't think of God that way. I think of him as like, you know, like very stoic up in heaven, like, you know, doing his God thing, but like, dude, if, if my God created sex, like, that dude is awesome. <laughs> you know? Like, like, that God is creative. That God is, he knows what he's doing. And, and it's a beautiful act of love and compassion that he created sex. So if God created sex, then he, it's, he's not against it, or he would have never created it in the first place. Now, again, it's what we do with those drives and those desires that, that matter the most. Okay. So God isn't against sex, and he's not against pleasure. So what about your biology? Okay. So, again, it's hard sometimes to decipher, but, but you guys are entering into a season of your life where you got a lot of hormones and stuff. All right? What's going on? Who in here, who in here has experienced that? Yes, thank you for being honest. Okay. Welcome. Thank you. Okay, so is that wrong? Is the desire necessarily wrong? No. 
No. Uh-uh. Okay, so, so sometimes when I was your age, I would think, okay, I can't have any type of like desire sexually or I've automatically sinned. Well, try to tell that to a high school boy. It doesn't work, right? And, and if that was the case, then why is it that God gave us such a strong sexual desire? Why wouldn't he have waited until we got married and then all of a sudden zapped us with the sexual desire? Well, he didn't do it that way. He's given us that sexual desire for a reason, to glorify him in some way, and ultimately in, in the marriage covenant to glorify him through it. But like, that doesn't change the fact that you guys are dealing with it at this present moment. So, so the biology side of it isn't wrong. Um, Joshua Harris gives a helpful list that I think like, is so, so helpful in deciphering between what is lust, like here's a line, what's lust, and what is not. What is okay? What is it that God has designed us for? And then lust is over here. It's not lust to be attracted to someone or notice that he or she is good looking. You guys agree? Disagree? It's not lust to be attracted to someone or notice that he or she is good looking. Okay, so this is a little bit confusing. So this is this is a perfect example of how the line gets blurred. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Hunter. Yes, <laughs> he said it depends on what you're looking at. Yeah, um, that's true. Okay, so so here's the deal: the appreciation of beauty. Okay, listen, the appreciation and beauty and the, the, the realization that somebody's attractive isn't a sin. Like, we're, we're designed biologically to notice, like, something that is attractive to us. Now, what you're talking about, Hunter, is taking it a step further. Now, now that is a sin, right? So, so it's not a sin, it's not lust to see somebody and be like, yeah, she's, you know, good looking or whatever, or he's good looking or whatever. Um, but it is a sin to then go to the second look or the third look or the fourth look and start undressing them in your mind. Okay? I mean, you guys, okay, you guys are laughing, like, awkwardly. But am I right? Okay, thank you. Honesty. Okay. So that's a sin, but noticing that somebody is attractive is not. Agree or disagree? It's not less to have strong, a strong desire to have sex. It's not lust. It's it's okay. So so that one is true as well. It's not a sin. It's not lust to have a strong desire for sex. Again, we've already talked about this. You guys are designed that way by a creative God that designed sex. So that desire for sex is normal. Now, if we take it to the next level, where where we start envisioning ourselves with somebody else or we start like acting upon those desires physically with somebody else, that is going too far. You following me? But the desire for sex isn't necessarily wrong. If it was then, we shouldn't desire sex in marriage. It's not lust, agree or disagree, it's not lust to anticipate to be excited about to, to, and, it's not lust to anticipate and be excited about sex within marriage. It's not lust to anticipate and be excited about sex within marriage. Yeah, okay, yes. So within marriage, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing to anticipate and be excited about having sex, right? 
outside of marriage, that's the forbidden fruit, right? That's the thing that God said no right now, but, but yet Satan lures that in front of us and says, you don't really want to wait. You don't really want to, want to hold out. Like everybody else is doing it, but, but God has forbidden that. But within marriage, it's, it's fair game, right? That biblically, like God wants us to rejoice and, and to enjoy sex with our husband or wife. Okay, agree or disagree? It's not less to experience sexual temptation. Wait, what? I don't know. It's not lust. It's not lust to experience sexual temptation. I said disagree. I don't know. Agree. 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 Okay. So yeah, confused. A lot of confusion. Okay. So let me decipher this one. This one's a little bit more difficult. Um, it is not lust to experience sexual temptation. Why is that true? That's true because because Satan is prowling like a lion, waiting to devour somebody. God doesn't tempt us. Satan tempts us. So, to experience sexual temptation is a totally different thing than indulging in sexual temptation. Okay? It says, when, the, when Satan tempts you, you are to flee him. So that's more true than any with um, sexual temptation. That, that in Satan tempting you, that's not a sin because Satan's the one that's acting upon you. But in allowing your mind to continue, allowing your desires to drag you away and to sin, that's a sin. Okay, but to actually experience sexual temptation isn't a sin because, like, if that's a sin, then it would be a sin to experience, uh, like, the temptation to covet your neighbor's new car or something like that, right? Um, but to experience that temptation is very different than than buying into it and actually like coveting. Does it make sense? You guys follow me? Okay. <clears throat> okay, you guys did great on those. Okay, so um, let's talk about shame for a second, right? So, so now that we've kind of deciphered um, the difference between lust and what isn't lust, what is beyond lust, I mean, what isn't lust and what's, what's natural, let's talk about the shame. So, so in here, who in here knows what, like, shame is? Yeah, no, maybe. Okay, most people know what shame is. All of us have felt it in this room at some point. Um, so here's the deal. So the Holy Spirit convicts, right? So, so when I do something wrong, he comes along and he's like, he's like, he gives me this, this sense of guilt, this sense of I've done something wrong, okay? That's a beautiful gift from God. Why? Because if I didn't feel like I'd done something wrong, then I would never want to repent unless I just kind of convinced myself that I needed to. But that guilt is kind of like when you get a cut on your arm or something or you have a broken arm. You know, that pain signals that you need medical attention. That pain signals that there's something wrong. So the Holy Spirit comes along and he convicts and, and we feel this guilt and, and we repent. That's good. That's normal. But shame takes it to the next level. Shame takes it to the level where, where I begin to believe that I'm the problem and I begin to, to beat myself up and depreciate myself. So instead of repenting and going to God, I self-wallow. I, I beat myself up. I make myself feel like that I'm the worst thing possible. And, and, and so that's shame. So... With, with sexual temptation and, and the things that surround that, a lot of times shame is intertwined in that because it's so... There's only one sin in, in, in Scripture, and I'm kind of uh, uh, getting off on a little tangent right now, but there's only one sin in Scripture that, that technically describes it in a different way than other sins. So a lot of times we say in the church, like, like, all sins are equal, right? 
So, and technically that's true that like all sins are equal, that they are, they are all a, a rebellion against a holy God and that, that no sin really separates me more or further from God, like every sin does the same. But in scripture, we see um, sexual sin being described as a sin against our own flesh. We don't see that with any other sin. So there's something different about sexual sin. There's something different, and I can't completely explain it, but that there's, there's a, a, a spiritual nature to it that's different than other sins. So because of that, there's a lot of emotion packed into it. There's a lot of um, this shame that I'm talking about that's packed into these moments when we slip up and fall or do something with our boyfriend and girlfriend that we, we told ourselves we want to do or do that thing that we said to God about a thousand times that we'd never do again. And so that shame comes on. And Satan uses that to beat us down and to not turn to God whenever we mess up and, and sin against Him. He uses that to make us focus more on ourselves and to just be like, oh, like I, I need to work my way back into God's grace when in reality God's grace is always present. So the guilt turns us back towards Him. The shame usually does not turn us back towards God. It turns us towards ourselves. Okay. So with sexual sin, what do we do with the shame? Right? Well, it's, 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 a, it's a choice of turning that shame over to God. So I say, God, like, like I am sorry that I've, I've done this, right? So that's, that's a natural, like, repentant heart after doing something I know that I've done wrong with God, right? And so, so the shame piece is, is taking every part of me, my heart, that, that's so vulnerable um, that, that I take that to God and I say, I don't know how to get past this. Like, I don't know how to get past this, this feeling of shame in my heart, God. I need you to uproot that. I need you to take that away from me because at this present moment, I feel absolutely filthy. I don't feel like your child. I don't feel like that you really love me right now. I feel like you're a million miles away. This is how powerful sexual lust is. This is how powerful it is because it, separ- it makes us feel like that we're separated from God by a million miles because we keep t- returning like the uh, passage, we keep returning like a dog to its vomit to the same sin over and over and over again. And yet God's saying, lay that shame down. Like, you are my child, Right? And then I'm going to use this and I'm going to, to draw you closer to myself. So to deal with the shame is not um, to, to just try harder next time. If it was to try harder next time, then I could just end right now and just say try harder next time and get over yourselves. But that's just not the case. It's impossible for you to, to defeat lust on your own. And that shame that you're carrying along with you, oftentimes due to things that you've already done, God wants that. You hear me? Like God wants that. He wants to show you that you're worth it, that you're still lovable, no matter what's happened in your past. Okay. So John Piper defines um, lust as a sexual desire minus honor and holiness. Um, the explanation that Harris writes about this is we, when we lust, we take this good thing, sexual desire, and remove from it the honor toward fellow humans and, a rev- and reverence for God. So I think this quote's really powerful because like it helps us to, to conceptualize like what's actually going on whenever we lust is that we're coveting something that we don't, that's been forbidden. So, so the easiest way I can describe it is with the, um, the garden, Adam and Eve. They coveted the fruit, right? God said, don't eat the fruit. They coveted it. They wanted something that was forbidden. And then they reached out and they took it. So in the same way, when I lust, when I, when I try to um, reach out and take the fruit that was never meant for me, then I'm dishonoring that person I'm even disarming myself, and I'm definitely rebelling against God. Because God's already said, don't reach out and take that fruit. 
So when I choose to reach out and take that fruit and to lust and to gratify myself sexually and to just like, like allow myself to just sit in it, like then that is, that is rebellion against a holy God that's called me to something greater than that, which is what? Not even a hint of sexual immorality. Okay? So, so it's, it's so important for us to, to understand that because like, if it's just about behavior modification, like, hey, don't do that with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Like, just, just clean up your act on the outside. If it was just about that, then, like, I'll send you to a counselor that does behavior modification, and they can get you to stop the behavior. That's not the point. The point is, is the heart behind that behavior. So when God says there should be no hint of sexual immorality in your life, or impurity, he's saying, like, yes, those actions, the big things that are on the outside, that's important, and yes, you should avoid those things. But even more important than that is to drill down to your heart and your, your, the, the, the desires that are dragging you away into that. So in James 1, for those that were in the guy's small group, he talks about how like, our evil desires drag us away into sin. Then we sin, and then that sin gives birth to death. Right? So it begins with our desires over here. And that's what God is, is saying. He's saying, like, I don't want you to go and do that, but I know that you have a heart that desires that type of stuff. So let me give you the power and the strength to do that. But you've got to rely on me and you've got to trust me so that you don't get drug away, drug away, drug away into sin and ultimately death. Okay. So um, <clears throat> that's where sin, I mean, where lust comes from. Um, so why did God uh, command us to have, or let's go to the next one. How do we biblically embrace our sexuality? Okay, what do you guys think? Like, what does that actually mean? Like, how do we embrace our sexuality? What is that, any ideas? Okay, I know that's a big, like, philosophical, like, how do we embrace our sexuality? Okay, so, so I'll, I'll give it to you in a little peanut shell, okay? Here's the deal. We live in a culture that worships sex. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, everywhere you look, practically, everywhere you look, you'll find sex. Almost everything that's sold to you is sold to you through some sort of sexual manipulation. Sex sells in our culture. Why? Because our culture lifts sex up over everything else, over the importance of God, over the importance of family even, a grief like ashleymadison.com are you freaking kidding me what is that? it's a website nah, well actually it just shows that our culture our culture is 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 glorifying adultery glorifying it and saying hey it's okay because these men their tagline is um maybe somebody can help me it's uh life is short have an affair that's what it is I mean, are you serious? So that's the culture that we live in, okay? So, so it's very difficult for you guys to be able to, to actually figure out what like a godly sexuality is in a culture that is teeming with, with ungodly, unholy, very, very um, uh, backward sexuality. So how do, we, how, do we, how do we embrace biblical sexuality in a culture that worships sex in all the wrong ways? I can make it real simple for you. Read the Word of God. Interpret your sexuality through the Word of God. Okay? What the Word of God says is far, far, 
far more important and also much more healthy and, and, and helpful than what the culture says or what Cosmopolitan magazine says or what GQ magazine says. All that crap doesn't even like hold a candle to the beauty of what Scripture describes sexuality as. I mean, it's, 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 it's not even anywhere in the same ballpark. But yet, you guys live in a culture that you're being bombarded. Stop it, guys. You're being bombarded at all angles by companies that are trying to sell you junk, and they're using sex to do it. So for us as Christians, we have to be like, I want to say vigilant. That might be a little bit like too intense. But we have to be on guard. Um, and, and, and realize what's actually being portrayed to us and what agreements we're making with ourselves. So like, like these agreements, girls, when you look at a Cosmopolitan magazine or whatever magazine, it doesn't really matter, and you start comparing yourself to that girl on the front cover and the agreements you start making in your head about your own body, that's a lie from Satan. Or dudes that get bullied at school and people are like, yeah, you're small or whatever. And you start comparing yourself to like, man, I want to be like, you know, this football star or whatever, and then I'll have all the chicks. Like, and you start making agreements about yourself that you're less than because you don't look like Tom Brady. Like, again, a lie. But that's the culture that we're living in. So how do we glory in the, the, the sexuality that God has designed that's biblical? Well, we read scripture, we see what God said, and um, we sanctify it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you say, okay, that's a big, big $10 theological statement. What I mean by that, I'm going to simplify it for you guys. What I mean by that is that, that our agreements and our ideas about sexuality, okay, we have those. So, like I have mine, all of you guys have yours, okay? I bring that under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I say, okay... Like, I've been raised in a culture that worships sex and that there's all these messages that I believed about myself or believed about what it means to be, like, you know, like, whatever. Like, really good-looking or whatever. I have all these beliefs and all these things that I've experienced. So, so instead of trying to deal with this all myself and trying to filter through that and say, you know, like, I'll take that and I'll leave that and blah, 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 I say, no, everything in my life I'm bringing under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That doesn't just include sexuality, that includes everything. That's what's so beautiful about Christianity because, because these things that are very confusing and very big and very broad, I get to bring that under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and say, God, please inform the way that I see myself. And specifically tonight, the way that I see myself sexually. Please inform the way that I see other people sexually. Please, God, guard me from, from viewing another person and, and, and treating them as an object because I need some sort of sexual like gratification. God, God, help me in those, those, those areas of my brokenness in my heart. Help me, God, and heal those areas so that I don't have to keep running back to these, these wells that are filthy dirty in order to receive some sort of like little brief pleasure. So I bring it underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I say, sanctify this, like change this. Change these areas that need to be changed. Keep making me into the likeness of, of your son. And guess who the best example of that is? And I know it's Sunday school, but listen to me. Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's obvious. Have you ever thought that Jesus was attracted to women? I mean, he was. And yet not once did he fall into the sin of lust. Not once did he objectify them. Not once did he sin towards them or against them. 
Not once. Now, mind you, he's the son of God, so you know, it's a pretty high standard, but we can look to him and we can, we can seek to follow his example. So I wasn't a ladies' man, and I've already told you guys that. Um, but I understood the struggle to remain pure in my thoughts and my actions. And I understand the struggle that you guys deal with on a daily basis. So my hope is, is that through this series, um, we'll continue to unpack what it means to, to, to glory in the way that God's designed us sexually, to, to, to worship Him because of that, yet at the same time to find um, the, the areas of our hearts and our lives and our sexualities that we need to submit to His Lordship. So, if you guys have any questions about um, the next few weeks or anything that I've said tonight, um, like I said, I'll give you um, one of those books, um, or you can ask me questions. I don't know if I'll have all the answers, uh, but um, are we going to leave feeling shamed? No. All right. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. But we are leaving with a little bit more of an understanding of what lust is and what God-given sexuality is, right? Yes. Okay. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for tonight, and I thank you for um, each of the precious youth that are in this room, and I pray, Lord, that um, you will help them to, uh, to sort through what it looks like to, um, to bring their, uh, their sexual drive underneath your lordship, and that you will give them um, clarity as they read your word um, to know more about uh, the way that you've designed them, um, and um, God, I pray um, for those in this room that maybe are experiencing shame and guilt based on decisions that they've um, already made, um, that you would help them to, um, to repent and to turn back towards you and um, to, uh, to hand that area of their hearts over to you. God, I pray for those in this room that maybe things have been done to them that they had no um, control over. I pray, Lord, that you will be with them in their brokenness. You will mend their hearts. God, I thank you uh, for, um, for the promise that we do have that you want all of us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that we can come to you and like honestly just sit with you in all of, all of our mess at times, and that you love us and you care for us. So God, I pray that through this series that you would help us to veer away from feeling the shame, but that if there's conviction that needs to happen, that you would also convict us, and that um, we would repent, and that we would pursue a life that um, doesn't have a hint of sexual immorality. And God, I pray that you would help us to place our faith um, in you and in your power to do that, because we can't do it on our own. And we love you. Um, we thank you for your creativity um, in creating us as sexual beings. And we ask God that you will help us to, uh, to be a generation that, um, that does not bow to the pressures of this culture, but that we would stand out um, and be a light to this world um, that is oftentimes so confused about their own sexuality. And we love you and we praise you and we offer you the rest of this night. Amen. All right. You guys have a good night.
See you, dude.